The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm over tonight. I'm your host. It is Tuesday, July 26th. If you're listening to the podcast in audio form, as one might think you would do with the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, we are always live on YouTube from now until the end of time because we are YouTubers. Uh, it's Monday, July 25th. You've got a great weekend. Joining me to talk about some AFC North burning. Training camp questions. So what we're doing? Seems like it. Uh, we're doing. We're, we're doing several AFC training divisions. It's not AFC North. It's AFC East. I had scrolled too far down. I was like, "Why the hell am I talking about the AFC North with Sully? That didn't make any damn sense." I was very confused for a minute. I'm like, "Wow, I'm prepared for like, not a lot of that." But. I was like, huh, "AFC North that didn't make any sense." I was like, "What's up, Bill? How you doing?" Yeah, what's up, Tyler? Sullivan joined me, Sully. Um, yeah, I bought that. Whatever. It happens. Um, I was actually, I, I actually, you know what? I actually did. Um, I put prep into this. I did prep and it's disappeared. So that's what you get for doing prep. That's exactly right. That's what I had to get for prepping. Um, so stupid. Why would I prep? Uh, by the way, we are a nominee for the best sports podcast category, the People's Choice Podcast Awards. As always, we appreciate everything you guys do for us, and we hope you like the show enough to nominate us to move to the final round. To do so, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up, toggle down to the sports category, select pick six. It takes about 60 seconds to do, and the link is even in the description of the podcast that you are currently listening to on your telephone. So very fast, very easy. And um, if we advance to the final round and then win the overall award, I will get a tattoo on my body. I like it. Yeah. And we don't need to talk about tattoos any further. Although I will note on uh, Monday's show, which was Friday's mailbag, Ryan Wilson was starting to try to weasel his way out of this tattoo in Nashville. Oh, come on. He's, he's like, I don't know if we'll have time in between all the work stuff. It's like, this is a work thing. This is, It's true. It he's is. Like, I don't know if we'll have time to stream it. It's like, what do you mean time to stream it? He was going to pull out his phone and fire it up on YouTube. Like the, this is like the, the most important work thing that you'll do while in Nashville yeah. is to is to get this tattoo and get the the um the 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 forthcoming uh, live streams of the tattoo. There there is no doubt in my mind that that will get the most eyeballs. That money collects the most out of anything out of anything you guys do down there. 100 down down there how about all year <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's gonna get more clicks in like a super bowl show um anywho let's uh we're gonna go straight to the afc east we're gonna skip the news although i mean we of course we appreciate um nada i assume built it up the rundown putting finding finding the the news that is out there are uh, the ravens uh i mean some some PUP guys, uh, and one of them is in the AFC, so we can mention him. Ronnie Stanley, J.K. Dobbins, Tredavious White of the Bills, uh, David Bakhtiari, Darius Leonard, Byron Jones, Michael Thomas, and Makai Becton all placed on the PUP list. Um, I wouldn't expect, like, J.K. Dobbins was, like, trash-talking Ian Rappaport of NFL Media, which was kind of funny. Um, but he's like, I'll be ready week one. You know I mean? I would say that of of these – 
that the the most concerning one for me would be David Bakhtiari just because of the way in which it was sort of described that he might have trouble being ready for the start of the season. Uh, he's still in the PUP list when the season starts. Uh, we, 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 you have to miss time. Right, uh, and that, that's the thing, too, to point out. If you're on the PUP list now over a training camp preseason, you can come off whenever. It's not like during the regular season where, yeah. you know, you're, 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 you're banished for like eight weeks or whatever it used to be, but now it's four. So at least that's, you know. It used to be six, now it's four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six was a lot. Mm, long time. You start the season on the PUP list, you got to miss the first six games. Yeah. Four seems, four seems better. Um, I was actually worried that when did they, I'm trying to remember when they changed that. They changed that. I mean, I think it might have been last year. Yeah, it was last year. Last year? It was, it's it's been recent. Six, it's very recent. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, you, a lot, like a lot of people get put on the PUP list. Like Jalen Ramsey was put on the PUP list. It's, it's not a huge deal right now. They actually took him off or, or didn't. Oh, they took him off. Didn't oh, even they decide. Like off. they were going to put him on and then. I think they were like he's healthy enough that it's all good. Oh, maybe I read that wrong. It, it, no, it was reported like that he was going. This is not to put him on. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Um, we actually have a PUP list tra- uh, tracker on CBSSports.com, run by Cody Benjamin and Sully. There you go. CBS has uh, started. They've um, they're 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 not letting me block ads on CBS. I, I thought I anyway. Um, I don't. There's a little, little pop-up showing up. It's like, hey, you can't read this until you turn off your ad blocker. I'm like, no, I can I can read that. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I work here. <laughs> make, make me turn off my ad blocker. I guess I should give revenue to our our, our company uh by 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 allowing those ads to to show up. Um Makai Becton's a big deal if he's not ready. Just I mean, but you know, and then Tredavious White, like those two guys from the AFC East. I mean, you know, I think like the Bills. The Bills will be fine in terms of like winning football games without Tredavious White, but they're not going to be like a Super Bowl team without Tredavious White. Um, probably. Like I, I think that I think that lack like they need that shutdown corner on the, on that side of the ball. And then, you know, if the Jets want to take a that, you know, if they want Zach Wilson to take that step forward, like Makai Becton's got to, to also take a step forward, I think. Right. At some point or another, Becton needs either needs to be on, you know, at, at one one of the starting tackle spots for for the Jets. I mean, whether it's Blindside tackle or right tackle with George Fant, they can kind of duke that out in Cam because Fant played pretty well last season in that spot with with Beckton being out, but for sure. And then with White, I mean, absolutely, they were the number one pass defense in DVOA throughout the year, even though he missed the last chunk of it. And obviously, they were going toe to toe with the Chiefs in that in that uh, divisional round game. But if you want an All Pro corner there, you know, at that spot, if you really want to contend for a title, I know you have great safeties. You drafted a cornerback in the first round, but Tredavious White is the cherry on top for that defense. That's really going to make noise. Yeah, I mean he's like he's an elite guy. Um, when he is fully healthy, it. I mean you know, he's coming back from an ACL tear, so I suppose it's possible that he's. McDermott told uh, reporters that quote he's on schedule. He looks really good. He's working his tail off, and Trey's a consummate pro, so he has not changed. We're excited and to get him back when he can get back. What does on schedule mean? Quote, he's on schedule with what the trainers are telling me. He's on schedule. <laughs> I think he's got a great look in his eye. I know, I know, I mean, this is unbelievable coach to talk. I know what he's working back towards. And really, other than that, that's all I can say. It's like, it's like, so, oh, so he's on schedule. So, what's, what, what is he on schedule for? He's on schedule for the schedule. Of course, that's the schedule. <laughs> and really, that's all I can say, other than the fact that he is a consummate pro with a great look in his eye. Well, I mean, if we look at, he tore his ACL on Thanksgiving. So you're talking a little bit under a year if we're talking September, you know, that's a you know couple months shy of when he when he tore it. So, you know, that's still pretty good. But like even you said, Will, like if he's not able to come back in the first, you know, couple of weeks, like let's say let's say they actually put him on PUP and he's gone for the first month. Yeah, they can withstand that. That's not something that is totally, you know, a death blow to them. I, I don't know what the beginning schedule is. Obviously, they're playing the Rams right out of the gate. So obviously you'd like to have a guy like the Rams and then they got the Titans at Miami at Baltimore. That's a really tough schedule, tough schedule to start. So obviously you'd like to have them, but in reality, this team's going to be in contention throughout the year is going to be really, you know, knocking on the door for, for a Super Bowl. You'd much rather have them for that second half. So, I mean, again, if, if you're weighing those options there, if you want to get them a little bit closer to that one year mark of when he actually suffered the injury, then, then maybe you think of PUP for, you know, to start the year. But other than that, it's really more of a, you know, how is this secondary going to respond without him? They played well last year. Obviously, you have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. You draft Kair Elam. There are pieces there. Obviously, you add Von Miller to pass rush, so that will help 
alleviate some of that pressure against the pass. But ultimately, again, you want to have him in, in your secondary at some point or another. But I think they'd much rather be cautious to start so they know that they have him on the back end. I agree with that completely. Um, and and I think that that's how the Bills will uh, take things. But I would expect, like, if, if you're talking about, like, Thanksgiving ACL, you should be back in time for camp. Like, uh, like unless, unless there's complications with the recovery. Right. Like, I, I would, I would or, excuse me, back in time for the start of the season. Like, I would not, I would not be, I mean, if I was a Bills fan, my panic meter would be like a 1.5 out mm-hmm. of 10 right now for Tredavious White. Because you get, you know, another you know, month from now, and you know he's 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 just fully back. You're just not worried about it. So um, I think I think that is certainly uh, you know uh, it's a, it's a big training camp question. It's one of the ones that we have listed here. It's actually the top one. We somehow magically segued right into it. Um, I'd like to tell you that I meant to do that when I brought up uh, Makai Becton and Tre'Davious White, but it was an accident. So that's okay. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes it's okay to be an ac- professionally accidental, accidentally professional. Um, <laughs> well, uh, my my original question was going to be what like all right so but we already talked about Travis White's injury but do you th- are you would you okay with that in mind knowing like what we think the timeline is for it are you I would be much more concerned personally with the change in the Bills offensive coordinator yeah from me, Brian Abel to Ken Dorsey than I would be with with Travis White getting back and being an impact player for the Bills out of the gate yeah because because we've seen players deal with these injuries and, and come back, you know, even if they're 85%, they're, they're still able to play at a high level. And, and I'm not really worried about White in that regard. There's a huge unknown that what we're getting from from Ken Dorsey going from Brian, Brian Dable. We've talked about this a bunch, well, you know, over, over the summer, where you, you have that has to count for something, going from Brian Dable, who is considered to be one of the best offensive play callers in the NFL, credited for helping Josh Allen become an MVP favorite. When you take that out of the equation now, that that has to mean something, even though he's leaving a pretty solid situation, a pretty solid foundation. And and one thing that I thought was interesting today was, I think it was Dawson Knox who was talking to reporters and was talking about Ken Dorsey. And there is going to be some change. We don't know what it's going to be. He said, I don't want to give any trade secrets, but there are some cool twists. So he's he's saying that, okay, you know, there's some fun wrinkles that are going to be added to the offense. But I'm more of looking at it and saying, okay, well, there's going to be changes to this offense that was already high-flying. And, yeah, it might sound cool in training camp, but what does it actually look like when you're facing defenses and and game plans from a week-to-week basis? Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the other things, too, is that, you know, this is a guy in Dorsey. Look, Ken Dorsey has a lengthy history uh, with Sean McDermott and with the you know the, everyone running the Bills, like he was the uh, quarterbacks coach at Carolina, and um, I'm trying to I just want to make sure I've got the um, the full the timeline of it. Yeah, so he he came in um, in 2011 with the Panthers as a scout. He was a quarterbacks coach there from 2013 through 2017, and he left and went and uh, and joined the Bills. I'm trying to think what he did in 2018. Hmm. He's just hanging out, throwing footballs. Ken Dorsey, what's going on here? Um, and he's been with the Bills now for uh, four years. So like, and like a lot of these Carolina guys migrated north. I mean, like this, you know, it's, it's Carolina North is like basically what you know everybody, you know, everybody calls them. Um, but uh, was he, what was he doing? What did he, what did he do in twenty eighteen? Is there no list of? How am I forgetting what he did? Oh, he oh he was at FIU. What the? Is he assistant athletic director? Wait, Quite a change. Yeah, isn't it? That is, what? A, what? Why did he do that? That is so weird. Yeah, it's quite quite the change. He left the Panthers. Oh, he was fired. That's right, along with Mike Shula. Oh, that's right, because he was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron Rivera fired, basically was forced to fire Mike Shula, and Dorsey was fired as well. I forgot about that man. And so then he was hired by the Bills after McDermott left to bounce up there. So he wasn't actually pulled away from Carolina. Okay. But he had been with, he had been with McDermott for a long time. He knows McDermott uh, very well. You know, he's part of the you know, quarterbacks coach, you know, the quarterbacks coach who went to the Super Bowl. Like, the, you know, he's got experience, but he has never called plays. Right. That is, that to me is like the big question mark, because if you've never called plays and you're the offensive coordinator, it would, it would, pres- I mean, y- y- 
if you're a first-time play caller, it is not out of the realm of possibility that the head coach will will uh, impact some uh, more uh, leveraged suggestions on your play calling than they might otherwise if you were a long-time play caller who came in. And what I'm trying to say is that it's it wouldn't be outrageous to suggest that Sean McDermott is interested in running the ball more because he has Dorsey in there instead of Brian Dayball. And I know that, like um, – and maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe Dorsey just gets to cut it loose, like Dawson Knox is talking about. There's all kinds of, um, you know, crazy, uh, you know, like like we're really going to pass even more. Um, it, it, I don't think you can know for sure, but I do know that like you know McDermott is a more conservative um, type of coach, and you have a guy who you know worked for Mike Shula, who was you know not exactly a high flying offense type of dude. So if if Dorsey is more conservative, if they run the football more, you know. Does it does it you know, does it cause this offense to stumble a little bit out of the gates? Like that wouldn't be that crazy, right? And like you're saying too, I, I think that there's obviously a longer leash for a guy like Brian Dayball to kind of take some risks in sure. certain situations. And, and you know, if you're talking about you know just something super simple where it's a you know you're going forward on fourth down in a certain situation in the middle of the field, there's some there's something along those lines. I think Dayball has a little bit more stake to actually make that decision. Then Dorsey and McDermott's looking at it saying, you know what, a little bit more conservative, saying, all right, well, actually, let's let's go in this direction. And then and then you're really getting two minds instead of one trying to dictate the offense. Absolutely. Um, all right. Also with the uh yeah, I think the the Bills, like how how they their pass rush is probably, you know, probably their biggest weakness. Um, you know, if, if you're if you're trying to figure out something, and so the question is who who ends up winning that job opposite Von Miller, whether it's Boogie Basham or Greg Rousseau, I would guess that um Leslie Frazier just implements some kind of rotation. Yeah. Uh, and particularly like, I mean, they're gonna have Von Miller, you know, they want they paid Von Miller a ton of money. They want to use him, but I don't think that they'll be aggressive in their snap count with Von Miller early in the season. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were a little more wary of trying to load up his his snaps just because they they like they want him there with 13 seconds left against the Chiefs late in the season. Yeah, I think it's something similar to what we were saying with Travis White. Obviously, Miller not coming back from an injury, but just a, a veteran player. You want to manage his workload earlier in the year, so when you do get into those playoff scenarios, you're you're, you're somewhat fresh in that regard. And, and like you said, I think that there's going to be a rotation there, but it is a, a pretty significant change at pass rusher. I mean, obviously, you're bringing in Vaughn Miller. You're moving on from Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. I mean. Those were your lead guys last year. Now you're you're kind of having this youth movement, but also this this superstar veteran. It's kind of an interesting dynamic of how that's going to shake out. Yep. Uh, all right, let's move on to the New England Patriots. What? Why are we talked? We talked about this, we, and we we don't we we could really do like two whole podcasts on it because uh, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's, but it's it's not unusual for the Patriots. But there is no named offensive or defensive coordinator currently, Sully. What is your read as a CBS Sports Patriots insider? Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's the defensive one. It's I guess it's it's Senior okay. Patriots insider, excuse me. The defensive side of the ball, you feel at least somewhat okay about because you know Belichick. Steve Belichick, Bill Belichick, Gerard Mayo. There's enough of a brain trust on that side where I feel a little bit more comfortable. I'm a little less comfortable about the personnel that they have. You know, the, the, they really don't really have that many outside corners. Linebacker is going through a youth movement. So there's a lot of questions there. But the play calling, I, I think that'll get figured out. It's the offensive side for me that is that alarm bell should be going off. I, I know Joe Judge is technically not the offensive coordinator, but he's the quarterback's coach. So he's working directly with Mac Jones going into year two, that's of concern. If you're if you're a New York Giants fan or you watch the New York Giants, you saw the the lack of development that Daniel Jones had since he arrived. So that's obviously, you know, when you're kind of looking at those comparisons there, that's something that should be of concern. And then Matt Patricia, that offense that they ran in Detroit, obviously he was the head coach. He wasn't the offensive play caller, but still not particularly effective with Matthew Stafford as your quarterback. So when you look at those subpar offenses, when both of those guys were head coaches and then one of them, you know, really struggled in developing a former first round guy as head coach, you can't help but say, okay, what is going to go on here? And like we were even saying too, none of these guys have offensive play calling experience. Patricia has defensive play calling experience for when he was with the Patriots as the defensive coordinator. And Joe judge was a special teams coordinator, but none of them have that, 
that experience on the offensive side of the ball. So whether it's Bill Belichick kind of coming in or, or Joe Judge or Matt Patricia, all of that just seems like there's too many cooks in the kitchen for Mac Jones. Yeah, I mean, I am. I, I mean, my theory remains the same that that Belichick has. I don't think he cares about the defensive side of the ball, um, but I think this. I think it applies a little bit in terms of the in terms of naming the OC or the DC. Like, I don't think he wants to name the OC because I, I don't think he wants to. I don't think he wants to invite a bunch of questions about a specific name and how that person, whether it's Joe Judge or Matt Patricia, is going to handle play calling. Like, I think Belichick believes that he can give somebody a playbook and tell them to, like, basically do this, 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 and this, and that Matt Patricia and Joe Judge can execute that from a play calling standpoint fairly simply. Yeah. Um, but I don't, like, I don't, but, like, I don't think that he wants to spend the next three weeks answering questions about why he's making his former, his old defensive coordinator the offensive coordinator. Or like why you know you know why Joe Judge and the job he did with the Giants warrants him being the play caller for the Patriots. Like I, like I just don't, I mean I don't think he wants to deal with answering those questions. But doesn't that? But I, I hear what you're saying. But at the same time, doesn't it, this invite even more questions? Like all right, who, with any other if team, they have, if, they have a, if they have a horrible like let's just say out of the gate week one in Miami, the offense is just falling all, all over its face, ten points, and they lose to Miami. Isn't like the first question out of the gate who was calling plays that day, and then if they have a great day, day the next week, okay, who was calling it then? And if it's if he's answering those questions like, oh, it was Matt Patricia this week, Joe Judge the next, then I don't know. I feel like you're just inviting even more weird questions throughout the year as opposed to saying, hey, listen, this is the guy that's doing it in training camp. You'll we'll streamline it, we'll figure it out throughout the course of the summer, and then at least when you get to a weird showing in week three or week four or whatever it is, you can at least say, Hey, listen, we're, you know, we're still working through it, but you know, Matt yeah. Patricia's our guy or Joe judge is our guy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that like having no offensive coordinator is a good move. And I would almost say that the having no defensive coordinator named is probably part in is partially to help deflect away from the OC fact. Like it's like, look, why are, you, why are you asking me about the offensive coordinator? We don't have a name defensive coordinator anyway. I think titles are overrated. We're, we work together as a team here. Our goal is to uh, try and you know navigate this as best as possible. Start of the season, we'll be you know offense and scoring and uh, okay. Yeah, create you create it's it's so ambiguous that it's just yeah. you know. Yeah, it's just, I mean like you know, and then Belichick will answer it in like a like a, I'm disgusted with you for even asking me the question because I'm smarter than you. Um, typical Belichick kind of way. I've been in like, in, and I mean, like, to be honest, like, to be fair, like, there's no, you know, there's no, like, there's no Tom Brady there. There's no, like, deflate gate storyline. Like, it's just going to be Pat's beat writers. Yeah. And, and like, I'm not saying that Pat's beat writers are not going to ask the question. Like, they, they know they will ask and try and find it out. But at, like, like, I, I would doubt that like Tom Curran or Ben Volan are going to, or Mike Reese are going to every day pepper Belichick's ass with questions about the OC title because eventually they're going to get like because they've done this for so long that they know how Belichick's going to respond to it and that he's not going to get it's like like you're not going to like trick you're not going to like harass Belichick into giving you like the, the the truth like he you know he's doing what he's doing for a reason you know what I'm saying so it's like it, it's just it's, it's just I can just picture like him getting like not getting away with this but just it's it, like he's going to have some kind of weird answer for it and just refuse to give it up. Right. And, and one thing to point out, too, with the, you know, the not naming OCs and DCs, that has happened before. Like, it, it's not foreign in New England for Belichick not to name coordinators. But at the same time, in those situations, we all knew who the play callers were. Like, it, you know, Josh McDaniels, didn't hold the title of offensive coordinator. It's happened multiple times, like in the past 10 years or so. Brian, yeah. Brian Flores was one of those guys it, for the defensive side. Matt Patricia's the same way. It's happened before, but at least you knew who it was. Now it's a little bit more clouded on both sides, whether it's Steve Belichick or Gerard Mayo being the defensive play caller for the Patriots, or if it's Joe Judge or Matt Patricia. You know, maybe we'll have it a little bit more streamlined when we actually see it in a regular season or preseason game. But at the same time, it's a little bit more clouded than it was in years past. So, yes, it's happened before, but not necessarily like this. Yeah, 2005, um, Charlie Weiss had been hired, I assume, hired away by Notre Dame. Yeah. 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 And um, the Patriots were the defending Super Bowl champions. 
and Matt Josh McDaniels had been promoted to offensive coordinator, but he was not that there was no named offensive coordinator uh, on that team. And then you know they they ended up um they ended they ended up like you know going they went to I think the conference or they lost in the division round to the Broncos. Um, but McDaniel's was named OC the next year. He would eventually leave for um, uh, Denver to, yep. to take the Broncos' head coaching job. And then in in two thousand nine, there was also no named offensive coordinator, which was Billy O. I think. That's yeah, right. that's right. It was Bill O'Brien. Um, well, no, he no. Well, maybe he didn't have one in two thousand ten either. He didn't have a DC in two thousand ten either. Huh. I think the 2010 was the McDaniel's return. I think that's when Bill O'Brien yeah, was. Bill O'Brien became official in 2011. Okay, and there was still no DC in 2011. Man, I mean, I covered that team in the Super Bowl. It was ain't it wasn't ain't nobody. This when they lost to the Giants the second time. It wasn't anybody asking the question, "Who's the DC?" Right. You know, like nobody. Cared. Like, I don't remember like anybody caring. And so well, Patricia McDaniel's that's, that's a Brady back. thing too, or at least or at least on the offensive side of the ball because you, you have a guy like that out there. Yeah. You know, you, you can make those those changes. I mean, we're seeing it a little bit in Tampa. Like, yeah, okay, you know, Brian, uh, Bruce Arians is gone, and, and Byron Leftwich, Byron Leftwich, and Tom Brady are still there. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you still have two great minds, even though on the D, on the offensive side, you're losing that ma- the top of the masthead in Arians. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, so interesting. That's I just I just fascinating. He's done. He hadn't done it in a while mm. because there's just been McDaniel's been there since he came back from the Denver job. Um, yeah. And I guess he did it with the DC after because Patricia left for yeah there was no DC in 2018 so it really is a case of like I mean maybe so I mean look his offensive coordinator left and took a job and he hasn't had a but do you have a defensive coordinator last year no yeah. they haven't had they I, I mean, a DC in like <laughs> I think the last DC in title was Patricia actually no it was um it was gonna be it was Patricia but then it was gonna be. Shiano, if I think that's if that's right, I think there was a a time there where Greg Shiano was going to be the defensive coordinator, but then he left over the course of the off season. That's but right. The, I, I believe that that's how that happened. That's right, and so he just hasn't named one since. No. All right, so I mean, like you know, he can he can. I mean, so Belichick can, and again, like I, I knew I knew we would talk too long with this, uh, but I, it's <laughs> fascinating. But like Belichick can can get away can uh, can at least say I have. There is so much precedent for this. That it's not an unusual factor. All sure. right. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the Patriots more as we move along. Um, you mentioned the cornerback the situation. They definitely need some depth there. Um, but like the, to me, this is the biggest question about the Patriots. Like who's running which side of the ball? Because uh, it ultimately matters when you don't have Tom Brady and you have to worry about Mac Jones. So let's take a quick break and we come back. The Jets and the Dolphins next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. The Miami Dolphins, the next team up in the AFC East when it comes to training camp questions. Let's say you know, I was really, you could tell I was really feeling it when I was thinking of doing my research here. Um, let's say that Tua throws for 3,500 yards, 25 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions in 2022. What is the Dolphins' record? Uh, that's second place in the division. That's probably 11 and five, or is that right? 11, yeah, no, 11, 11, and, six. 11 and six. Yeah. I think that's about right. I would have said like over under 10 and a half wins if, if that's, if that's his, if that's his sort of production, like, uh, and it, you know, the, the interesting thing about Tua is that, um, well, he's getting a new, uh, you know, a whole new offense, you know, this Mike McDaniel high speed offense and Tyree kills in like, there's no excuses for him, but I also feel like 
it's like if you're if you're Tua and you know that everyone everyone's everyone is saying yeah, it's got to be this year. Your entire life hinges on this season, Tua. Or else you can never be a good quarterback again. Um, like you having that fresh start with the core with the coach and the new offense, I think kind of benefits him a little bit. Obviously, Mike McDaniel, I think, is a big upgrade offensively from Brian Flores. Maybe the Dolphins' defense is a lot worse than it, than it was last year, but I think it is like it would be shocking if Tua didn't improve from a statistical standpoint, um, even if he doesn't improve throwing down the field uh, in the in the twenty twenty two season. Well, I mean, also too, I mean, yes, the coaching change from a more of a defensive mind and Brian Flores to now an offensive mind. And Mike McDaniel's obviously it's going to help every single time. But you know, even just the additions that they've made this offseason, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle going into year two, that whole backfield is pretty much done over. They fixed the offensive line to a degree, obviously adding Teron Armstead. So like they have an, a, you know weapons there, and they have protection in front of him. So he doesn't really have to make that many difficult throws. I think that this team's going to have a lot of yards after the catch. I don't necessarily think it like Tyreek Hill will be used in the same way that he was used in Kansas City, where it's just run down the field, break open, and Patrick Mahomes can throw you a you know 70-yard pass. I think a lot of it might be used a little bit more like how you saw maybe even Jamar Chase last year. A lot of you know, a lot of slants. You get you know right over the middle of the field, but then he has that breakaway speed that can oh, rip, yeah. you know, rip the game open completely. So I think you see a little bit more of that with Tyreek Hill and even Jalen Waddle to a degree as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I agree completely. Like they're gonna, these guys are gonna be utilized in yak situations. Yeah, like, and he's a high, and he's a high percentage throw guy. It's not like he's inaccurate to a degree, especially in the short and intermediate. Yeah. So, so if you if Tua can thrive in those areas, and, and if it's anything similar to what we saw in San Francisco, where it's just high percentage looks, a zone running scheme, wide zone running scheme, a lot of that is setting up the quarterback for success. Absolutely. I, and I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, look, I think that's what this is offense is going to be is get to the, let to be a, a distributor who like, we could see him end up with very good statistics and the dolphins have a very good offense. And people are like, it's all fabricated by the, it's all created by Tua's, you know, the yards after the catch based on the scheme. It's been schemed up to help Tua. And it's like, yeah, that's the whole point. He's like, he's a system quarterback. It's like, everybody's a system quarterback. All quarterbacks play in a system. The system is literally designed to help the quarterback. <laughs> like if if if, you know, if if sure there are guys who can get out like do stuff that other quarterbacks can't, but like if you are playing quarterback, you are playing in a system. That's what an offensive scheme is. Like you know, like everybody has, everybody has a system. Anyway, I don't know why I'm branching on this, but um, like you, the, the Dolphins want Tua to be a system quarterback. And and I think that there's also a line of thinking that like. There is a if you give you know some of the Dolphins brass, obviously not the coaching staff, but just you know maybe the higher ups some truth serum that they might not want Tua to thrive, and they might want to like go swing for the fences and get Brady as a free agent next offseason or whatever, or make a move like that. I don't know if that's really the case. I think in an ideal world, Tua has an unbelievable season and they have their guy. Like that is the easiest way to do it, as opposed to trying to you know, pick up somebody else's, you know, you know, damaged goods or, or an old 45 year old quarterback who's great, but like, you know, you, that, how long, how long until you're back in the quarterback pool with somebody like that? I mean, I, mean, yeah, I think, I think particularly like Chris, I mean, like, and you know, uh, yeah, no, they want Tua to be great. If yeah. Tua is great, they have a young franchise quarterback. Like, and also you don't look like a total idiot for, you know, you, you tried to trade up for Joe Burrow. The Bengals were like, go, go bleep yourselves. And then you took Tua over Justin Herbert. And, so like if, if Tua makes the playoffs and maybe the Chargers don't, you know, and it's because Tua took a big step forward in Mike McDaniel's offense, all of a sudden, you know, you, you there will at least be the discussion of okay, maybe the Dolphins aren't idiots after all. So yeah, you I think they I don't think they I don't think they want Tua to fail. Yeah. And I think um what you want Tua to be is a you know, uh I was gonna say I can decide rich man's or poor man's, but you just want to be Jimmy Garoppolo, basically. Yeah, yeah, for Jimmy sure. G. Um how big of a concern is the offensive line in Miami for you? I mean, it's more just a question of how quickly this group can mesh, right? I mean, it's like how how do these these all these pieces sound great? Obviously, Teron Armstead, but it, it, it is interesting. I always think that this is kind of you know, yeah, Teron Armstead is a great one of the best, if not the best, left tackles in the NFL. But you also are dealing with a lefty quarterback, so it's almost less valuable. Good point. So you're like, okay, this is great, but he's not your blindside tackle anymore. 
Yeah. So, and you're not moving him to right tackle. Like it, you know, so to me, yeah, it's a great addition, but it's not as great as it would be if Tua was right-handed. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's certainly parts of that, that again, you know, how is all of the rest of this offensive line going to shake out? And while the pieces are nice, it, you know, it's not a Madden video game. You, you all need to have a cohesive unit. So these next few months for them, I think is going to be important. Also, if, um, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I use rlads.com for the uh, depth, for depth charts, like yep. virtually every reasonably intelligent NFL writer does, I think. Um, if, they are correct. It would appear that if something were to happen to Toronto Armstead, who has been hurt many several times in the last few years and has missed games, uh, Greg Little would be their left tackle. So that's a significant downgrade. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, your 2020 first and second round picks. Um, you feel like you got something there. Liam Meikenberg, the, the second round pick in 21. And then Connor Williams. I mean, yeah, like if this offensive line can pick up the Mike McDaniel's offense, or Mike McDaniel offense, it, it, it has a chance to be a definitely above average unit, whereas it, it probably hasn't been um, particularly great in the last few years. I mean, it's just this offense is just it's very intriguing, you know. Um, how do you think the running back situation shakes out here? Because they added Chase Daniel and Raheem Mostert's free agents in the offseason. Sonny so Michelle was picked up as well, and they have Miles Gaskin. Just a lot of like, I mean, it's, I mean, it probably screams. Running back by committee. I'll tell you this: I've been drafting a ton of Raheem Mostert in under in, in best ball late in drafts, um, with the thought process being, you know, he's played for Mike McDaniel before. What if he's just healthy and he just becomes a starting running back for a good Dolphins offense? Like I, I'm surprised at how late he's being drafted. And to, to even put more gasoline on that, too, he came out on Monday today saying that he was tweeting that he's all cleared, ready to go. So Ooh. he has got a clean bill of health, ready to roll for this Dolphins team on minicamp. So, hey, there you go. Yeah. You know, again, I, I'm with you on that because, and if you listen even to the fantasy football today, guys, too, you know, Chase Edmonds is not particularly the kind of back that, you know, thrives when he's the featured guy. Good complimentary guy than when he was in Arizona, but hasn't necessarily, when he's been given the opportunity to be the feature back, it hasn't really produced well on the field statistically, which obviously translates to fantasy. The opposite is with Raheem Oster. When he's healthy and he's on the field, this is the guy that ran for 220 yards and four touchdowns in the NFC Championship game. I mean, it is he has blazing speed, dominant. It's just the problem of can he stay healthy? So I, I do think that there will be some of leaning on Raheem Oster early on, especially because of that familiarity with Mike McDaniel in San Francisco. But I do think you see a healthy kind of combination of Edmonds, uh, you know, Mostert and Sony Michelle in there as well. Cause uh, Michelle played well, you know, at times for the Rams last year too. Yeah. Michelle is the type of guy who's like, you know, you're like, all right, we're up by 16 points. Let's give this guy the, the ball and close it out because we want to like chase Edmonds has nine games with more than 10, 10 carries in his career. And he's been over a hundred in just two of those. Um, and, and, one of those, he ran 12 times for 120 yards in a, a blowout win last season against the Rams. Oh, that seems weird, doesn't it? Um, and then um, the other one was at, at, against the Giants in 2019. He had 27 carries for 126 yards. I mean, he just hasn't, like, he just hasn't, he doesn't have a lot of, like, heavy touch experience. I would be, sh I would be shocked if this is a guy that's getting 20-plus carries a game. Like, that's just not what Mike McDaniel is going to do with him. And, and so I think, I think it's like 60-40 Raheem Mostert. Okay. Or maybe 60, maybe 55. This is the dangerous play by me math-wise. Um, 55, 35. What's that? No, that's 55, 35, 10 or something like that. Or You can do 50, 25, 25 if you want. There you really. go. That's better, Sully. But he's dabbling in 55. What's wrong with me? <laughs> uh, the point being is that I, I don't – I would be really surprised if this is – if any of these guys are necessarily a true feature back. And the, the Edmonds thing is just shot. I think he could be explosive in this offense. Yeah. I think he'll catch plenty of passes. Um I, but I would just be really, really surprised if he was like just a pure feature back for the for the Dolphins as well. All right, let's go to the New York Football Jets. And we talked about Makai Becton earlier. I mean, I oh, okay, we can start about we can start at safety first if you want. Um, who starts at safety beside alongside Jordan Whitehead? It could be Lamarcus Joyner. I mean, you know, again, there's is a you know he's he's 31 years old, not clearly the long term answer at all. But they do have a 2020 third round pick in Ashton Davis. They have Jason Pinnock. You know, I mean, there's a couple of guys there, but ultimately, they've invested heavily 
at the corner spots this offseason, whether, you know, you're, you're bringing um, uh, now, uh, Sauce Gardner in the first round. So you have pieces in that secondary. But the safety spot, you know, for someone who can purely play back and play that free safety role, I think that that to me is the biggest question mark. I think Jordan Whitehead's a little bit more, um, you know, strong safety-ish, right? I mean, I think that that's more his playing style than it is just playing center field. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and by the way, um, just very quickly, I should point out that Raheem Mostert also only has 14 games with d- double-digit carries. So there's just yeah, no way. Like, it feels like more, right? Yeah, it feels like way more. He had a, he was he was great in the playoffs. In the, yeah, in the that's playoffs. probably what it is. Yeah, uh, and those just those are just regular season carries. I should I'm looking at uh, PFR, but I mean, anyway, anyway, back to yeah. So the Jets, um, yeah. Oh, oh, correction on the Jets. I think I said that Robert Sala was in his third year. He's only in his second year. I'm a dummy. Going into year two, yeah. Why did I think he was in his third year? Hmm, I don't know. I don't know why I'm asking you why I thought that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so my apologies to Ryan Wilson. My apologies to the listeners. Oh, maybe that's why the person somebody was somebody's very mad about Monday's episode. Because what happens is these people come, they download the podcast on Monday, and we're talking we're doing like a like we're like it's Friday afternoon at like two o'clock, and you're like you know cracking cracking you know high noons and you know, doing dumb, doing dumb mailbag stuff and like it's like it's like if you listen to it on Friday. It doesn't feel it doesn't have Monday vibes to it. Is what yeah, I mean, I was riveted about the picking nose, either hand in the pants conversation. I mean, that was. That was A-plus <laughs> stuff. Did, yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> did, yeah, it's like, you wake up Monday morning, you're like, all right, I need my football fix. It's like, boogers! <laughs> did, uh, what, uh, did you listen to the whole thing? Uh, I got midway through. Just... Okay, so you didn't hear the final, did you hear the second Would You Rather? No, give it to me. Okay. I, I asked people this all weekend. Um, I te- like, blew up text chains with it, had like lengthy discussions about it. Would you rather, you have to, you have to run across a football field. Okay. So the length, sideline to sideline, you only have a 20-yard stretch. Though. So it's basically like 20 yards of a football field. you got to run sideline to sideline. Would you rather do it with, you have to pick, a 1,000 snakes, a 1,000 rattlesnakes, excuse me, or three landmines? Ooh. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good one. Uh, so, like, if just for context, because we, we did the math. How many rattlesnakes? A 1,000. It's essentially one like if if for every three by three square foot, there's a snake there. Um, I think I'd do the snakes. I think I'd do the snakes. I feel like I could more. Now, I'm not fast. I'm not at all fast. Right. But I do feel like I have enough speed for that to realize that I'm there and and to strike. I could already be five yards away. Wow. As opposed to me being just very unlucky, and then the step step before I finish, I hit the landmine. Yeah, the landmine is like, you don't know what's coming, and it could be like three landmines at the end, like spread across, like the, like the fight, like the, like the, the, so like you're like, ha, 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 Like at least, like, at least with the snakes, I could focus on running. I'm going to be so in my head about every, where I step and where I go with landmines. At least it's just littered with snakes, so I'm, I'm facing it regardless at least i know what i'm getting myself into yeah like i like you know like you've seen squid games right yeah um you know it's like the final test where it's like the glass bridge where you have to pick right or left and if you pick choose incorrectly uh, also i figured out why my why robbie my son has been like is like knowledgeable about squid game i was like well, how does he know about squid games it's because mr beast does them on youtube yeah he doesn't mean like a not death fashion no, it's more like just stay in this ring for as long as you can no no yeah yeah but then it's like no like they do the glass thing but it's no, it without glasses like a plastic trap drops and you fall into a, like a bucket of foam so robbie's like yeah it's a master i'm like oh that i get it you you think it's like a harmless funny okay you didn't know that it's like a evil um yeah anyway um like i like that the glass walkway is like, like you don't know that see that to me the 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 lack of knowing when i'm going like you you take the step and then it's like uh, uh, you know, like yeah, I'm slowing up. I'm zigzagging when I would just normally run straight. It, and I'm probably increasing my odds of hitting it by thinking about it too much. Yeah, and like the other thing is with the the snakes, you can like jump over. You know, like, I mean, there's there's just ways to potentially avoid them. Also, they could like end up clustering in one corner. There's all kinds of stuff that could happen. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I think snakes. Uh, Nada in the comments says landmines, and it's not even close. Wow. And yeah, um, Nada, are you? Is that just a simple like? Like 
I'm playing the odds and I don't care? Pretty much that. And there's always the can't like a snake is going to glance you. You are going to get some venom in your leg, no matter what. Oh, yeah, yeah. You are yeah. getting bit. Yeah. I mean, I think like over under five and a half is like bare, like I'm taking the over, like number of bites you're dealing with. Now, now you know, forgive me for not knowing this, but rattlesnakes, venom, does that kill you? Or I mean can you get, can you seek medical attention and be good? Yeah. If you get if you get bit, you can survive. Okay. See, all right. Now, if you get bit like 10 times. Also, like if you get if you like you take your first step and like that first snake bites you, it's gonna make running a lot more difficult. For sure, for sure. I'm I'm envisioning like a running start. Like I'm gonna start like at the uh, water cooler and then pick up speed. Like what if all thousand snakes were like at the they're like, ha, we're at the front of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta try to hurdle it, which would just not end well. I'd roll leaping, over it. Be... Over it and then like you get you land and like you turn around the snake. Also, snakes are like scared of humans. Like you can in theory, like some then all those snakes are gonna be like coming after you, like as soon as you hit the field, like a bunch of you know. There, there is that school of thought. Yeah. So anyway, um, this is now just a snake or landmine podcast. Nothing else. What were we? What were we talking about? The Jets. Oh, Jets um, secondary. Yeah. Let's just move on to the tackle position. Um, yep. That's a fun way of getting out of the any discussion of the Jets secondary. Um, you know, I think Mac, uh, Mackay Beckton, we mentioned, and George Fant. Um, you know. Like Becton, I also, I think you can even make the case that Makai Becton is a more important player for the Jets. Makai Becton having a great season is more important for the Jets than Zach Wilson having a great season. Nah, I don't know about that. I mean, one, I, I understand you're talking about a premier no, tackle. No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. Like, it's a hot. It's a hot take How about that. It's a hot. It's a hot take that I think most people disagree with. But yes, yeah. Well, I mean, again, you're, you're talking about protect. Like, you know, we talk about it with. I mean, go back just even to Andrew Luck and, and Joe Burrow and stuff, like protecting the quarterback and two or even that's half the battle. I mean, if, if I don't care how talented you are, generational quarterback in in Andrew Luck, you know, a Super Bowl appearance last year for Joe Burrow, you can't protect those guys, then you know, it doesn't matter how good they are. Even think of Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl um against the San Francisco 49ers. Or no, uh the, the Buccaneers. Yeah, if you can't protect your quarterback, like especially a young quarterback, it is not he's not he's gonna struggle. He's yeah. going to get hurt. He's going to force things. He's going to be running around. He's going to try to do too much. Like you have to protect your quarterback. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, from that standpoint, you know, they're, they're all connected. If, if he's not playing well, then your quarterback's not playing well. And then your team's not playing well. So yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying there with Becton again. It's, it's mostly injuries, you know, can, and, and when he's healthy, is he going to be at the left tackle spot? Is he going to be competing with Max Mitchell, the rookie for the right tackle spot? Because George Fant played well last year at left tackle for them. I, I don't think that that was a particularly huge problem. So if they prefer that consistency for somebody that is going to, you know, maybe the ceiling's not as high as Becton, but at least you know he's going to be there, that might possibly be what determines this. And, you know, uh, and Becton, you know, if he's able to, like, he, he suffered a bad injury. Like, he had a great rookie season and looked like he was going to be like a franchise left tackle. Um, and then, you know, th again, the injuries um, have, have been a problem. But, like, yeah, I mean, I think I, I it's not outrageous to put Becton at right tackle and say, look, be like, be the, just be a downhill, like, be a downhill blocker who is great in the run game and, you know, will, will like shift some pass protection your way. And, fan, and fans can stay on the left side and just kind of handle things. Um, you know, and, and be, like you said, the, the low upside guy. So that is, Becton is just, they didn't draft, they drafted Garrett Wilson and Jermaine Johnson and Sauce Gardner and Brees Hall with their first four picks. They had opportunities to take a left tackle or to take a potential franchise, you know, uh, like a franchise left tackle or, or an offensive lineman or even a right tackle, right? And like put yeah. back to the left tackle. Like it, it, at the very least, the picks by the Jets signify some confidence in Makai Becton to perform at a high level. Uh, it is hilarious watching like um, Duke Mayweather, who's the like OL, OL masterminds on Twitter. Um, and like he is like constantly yelling at Jets fans who are yelling at him because he posts videos of Makai Becton. He's like, he's like, why is this the only person, the only lineman I post? He's like, I post like 25 different linemen doing various drills. And the only one who like draws like, like out, like outrage is, is Makai Becton because Jets fans are, are loon tunes. Um, very quickly, Zach Wilson. Is he, do you, where do you, so, so, like, to, to me, Zach Wilson was very much up and down last mm. year. Sort of what yeah. you expect. I mean, rookie season, you know, he was hurt too. Um, flashed at times but you know I, I don't think you ever tell you had a great rookie season 
Like, at no, no point was, no. It, was it like, oh, he could be rookie of the year. Like, you know, would never, not even close. Um, do you think he's a year two leap candidate? I, I think that there's a chance that he's not. And I think it's oh. even more, it's a little bit more concerning. You know, I, I don't know necessarily know if like Justin Fields is going to have a, a great second season either, but at least sure. you can point to the roster not necessarily being this, you know, as prolific. I think the Jets roster right now, especially on offense, is right is better than what the Bears have. And so when you talk about an improved cast around you, uh, you know, a, a backfield that has Michael Carter, who I thought was really good last year, you add Brees Hall, you add a bunch of weapons at the receiver spot, you really invest a lot at the tight end position, bringing uh, C.J. Uzama and um, uh, uh, Tyler Conklin. Um, so, I mean, you're really investing all around it, which is what you should be doing with a young quarterback, but I don't know if he necessarily makes that leap. And, and obviously the jokes, you know, you can make all the jokes about the offseason headlines with, you know, his friend's mom or whatever like that, but... I think we even said this the last time I was on too, you know, that's all well and good if you play well and you can, you know, those, you can just brush those away. But if all of a sudden you're, you're starting to play poorly, the, the questions about focus and, and what your, your, yep. your, your priorities are and all that stuff will come to the limelight, especially in a place like New York with the jets. So I do have some concerns about him taking that leap. You know, I, it, you know, I, I think it's probably right there with Justin Fields with my, you know, the two guys that I'm most concerned about. Yeah, I, know, I agree. So, did he? Was it? Was it the Patriots game? He got hurt, I guess. Yeah, because Mike uh, White, Mike White came in against New England, I believe. And then, oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think I was at that game too. Wow. Um, and you know, I yeah, I think that. Um, I think yeah. Um, if you look at, it's like you can't really look at that game in particular just because it's you know like he got hurt, so you can't be six and right, ten for sure. But, but like his first game against Belichick, nineteen to thirty three, two hundred ten yards, four interceptions, sacked four times. Yeah. Uh, and then like the the final game of the season for Wilson where he, he played Buffalo. And I'm just sort of thinking like that, you know, this is for the you know, for the games he's gonna have to deal with, these defensive coordinators who have a history of, of giving him fits. Seven of twenty is thirty five percent. That's not good. Uh completions. 87 yards, one touchdown, eight sacks. Like he was sacked six, he was sacked five plus times. He was sacked five or more times, four times during the season. Like that is a, like he was sacked a ton. So the protection is key, but Wilson also needs to be ready to take a leap. And I I think it is very fair to ask, to to, to question whether or not he will take the leap. Um, And, and absolutely when, when he, if he, if, when he doesn't to Sully, there will be mother. We'll be talking about, talking about moms. Moms and friends will be discussed. All right. That'll do it for us. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. For Sully, I'm for Sully, I'm Brinson. We'll see you guys later. Thanks, bud. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.